everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hello. How's it going? Good. We're not looking at each other anymore. No, well, because my internet stinks. Mm -hmm. And it's all, it adds like 45 minutes to our setup time just trying to get our internets to coexist, I guess. Yeah, but hopefully we'll still sound natural over the phone because I think we've also done it enough times. The because I felt like it was so difficult um, when we first had to start recording in different places because of everything that's going on to get like that rapport back from when we were in the same room together. But I feel like you know we're getting back there or we got it. Yeah, well, because also how often before this whole mess happened were you really talking on the phone to people? Yeah, never. It was all texting and stuff like that. So I think getting used to talking to somebody in a different way, even over Zoom or whatever, there was a learning curve to it. But we adapt. I mean, humans adapt. You can see with what's going on. Humans adapt so fast. Yeah, it is amazing. And now I exclusively talk on the phone or through FaceTime to a bunch of people. So. Um, I tried FaceTiming my parents today because I, you know, I haven't seen them in forever. Mm -hmm. And my mom just held the phone. And then as I was talking, just closed her eyes and fully fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, mom, you're fully asleep. I'm going to go. She's like, no, why? And I was like, no, what? I can see you. So. But she does that in real life too, doesn't she? You guys will just be hanging out and she'll fall asleep. She is like an energizer bunny. She's one of those people that like goes, goes, goes. Like she doesn't sit down. She's moving. She's moving. And also she's um, a hospital administrator right now and working with a lot of COVID patients. So it's like especially, you know, a difficult time. But oh yeah, the second she sh- sits down, it is like a robot powering down. Like she sits and then she just falls asleep. <laughs> like That's holding so her funny. teacup, watching a movie. I don't think she's ever has seen the end of a movie in decades. So. Oh yeah, that that's how my dad that's how my dad was when he was working too. Well, you know, thank God for your mom on the front lines. Yes. So let's take a moment to talk about better help. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me there is. I have an issue with intimacy. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It isn't a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, and it's available worldwide. And you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. And go to betterhelp.com tropes, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. So there's a special offer for Learning the Tropes listeners where you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com tropes. That's betterhelp, B-E-T, 
T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash tropes. T-R-O-P-E-S. Go there now. This book that we read this week, Love Lettering, has Mm -hmm. been recommended to us many times. Also, you know, we are friendly with Kate Claiborne. She has come with us on the show. We love her. Yeah. And so I was just thinking for this month when I was, you know, going through which books to choose. I'm like, I just want like, I just kind of want ringers. Like I want books that are, that feel like comfortable because everything else is kind of so wild. And I had read this when it first came out. Um, and I was always curious to hear what you thought about it. So that's why we picked this one this week. We also, though, did get a conspiracy theory about <laughs> this book from one of our troopers. Uh-huh. Carrie wrote to us that she had a Kate Claiborne conspiracy theory. And she said, I read Love Lettering uh, and I really loved it and went back and I'm reading her other novels. I just finished Luck of the Draw, so I'm re-listening to... It's podcast episode, which great book. And I think that was a really good episode, too. Yeah. Y'all start talking about your hate for middle America and then laughy emoji, which is overblown. It's not hate. It's preference. It's preference for the coasts. And and general confusion about the middle. It's not a hatred. It's just a question mark. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and your love for NYC, which is that is true. We yeah. do love yes. NYC. And where is Kate's new book set? NYC. Coincidence? Probably. <laughs> but maybe, just maybe, Kate is writing books specifically for Aaron and Clayton. And you know what? After reading this, I think this conspiracy is 100% correct. Yes. I don't know if the timeline works out exactly, but, you know, we're both self-centered enough that I think we can just, we'll buy into this conspiracy theory. Well, the reason why I would say that this conspiracy theory is true is because I believe most conspiracy theories to be true mm-hmm. in general. But this one specifically, most of the places that are described in this book are places that I have frequented in my travels in New York. Yeah. like Most of these places are all either where I live now, which is park slope where the main action happens or areas like soho and uh places like that which i i used to live in soho i know new york is i guess new york is kind of small uh, in a way so it's not crazy that i would recognize all these places having lived here for like 14 years but still i could recognize almost all the places that the two characters went yeah and New York is a very big, small town. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like I run into people a lot more than you would assume living in a city of however many million people. But it does sort of happen. Like, you end up with the same touchstones or you meet, make a new friend and then you're like, oh, wait, we were both at the same party or we both used to go to that same bar or something. So... Yeah. Or we used to work together and didn't realize it because we were in different departments. Oh, yeah. That's happened to me. Or inevitably your friend starts dating someone new and then you know someone who works with him so you can do some really good, like, you know, recon, which is always helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we get ahead of ourselves, though, what do we think of this cover? I like it. I think it's very, it is very New York rom-com. 
mm-hmm. because it's got it's got the love lettering written in cursive. Well, because our main character Meg, or Margaret, is a I'm gonna get this wrong, calligrapher. No, she's a hand letterer. But that's the same thing, right? No, apparently not. I think okay. Calligraphy is just like the fancy swirly letters, but I think it's like a specific, like you're mimicking a specific font. Okay. Um, and then hand lettering, I think it's there's much more creativity to that. As yeah. I understand it, if you are a hand letterer or a calligrapher and I'm wrong, let me know. We'll correct it. Yes. Yeah. Write us a letter. <laughs> make it as creative as you can. Uh, we'll only yeah, accept it, it in hand lettering or calligraphy. <laughs> Exactly. Make it pretty or we don't want an email from you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, though, that this cover, it 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 doesn't make me think romance necessarily, because, again, it's a cartoon. One floor of one building, there are hearts emanating from it. Yes. But again, it could be a a chick lit book Mm -hmm. with this kind of cover. I like it in that it's very recognizable. I think once you know that it's the book, it's like a very visually beautiful cover. But I yes. agree that it doesn't scream romance to me necessarily. Um, and you don't know much about it. I don't, there's, It doesn't tell me anything about the book itself. It, it's so funny, though, because we keep saying that these cartoon books don't make us think of romance. But all of these romances are starting to have cartoon covers so this is what most new romance readers think of as romance now right exactly so, so even though i'm a virgin i'm somehow old school mm-hmm. <laughs> right because like my thought is it's got to have it's got to have like a guy with a shirt open on the cover and it's got to be real people or something that seems like romance to me but it's been, what, a couple years where cartoon covers have been the norm. So now that is what people, I think, look for when they look for romance. Not everybody, but it's, it's in, that, it's, it's, it's in that, that pool of kind of books people will look at and say, oh, that must be romance. No, I think that's interesting. And it's like those covers are going to be very much of a time. But I think I just love them so much. Like, I have been thinking, when we had um, Sarah McLean on a long time ago now, um, she talked about how the old school covers were, like, actually painted. And that you could, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of authors would, like, buy the paintings of their covers. And I was like, I want to buy a painting of some covers. Like, I feel like I would just love it. Like, they're so evocative and so, like almost campy in a way that I mean I love camp I 100% if anyone has the drop on how to get any of these paintings let me know because I am an interested party for sure oh I'm um, sure somebody's got it someone listening's got to know know somebody somehow yeah. to find it uh but anyway no I mean honestly a good cover I think you know not perfect but I like it and I also like on it how there, most of it is twilight, and then the building that has the hearts coming out is black and white, but it's it's like almost peeling back the night, and mm-hmm. I like that effect. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a like it's a beautiful cover. We love it. 
This episode is brought to you by Into Her by J.A. Huss, available now at audible.com. Into Her is the story of two hitmen bending a sexy night stranded with her mark, Yvette, but one night changes everything as they soon find themselves plotting way out of the job and the mob. Into Her is an angsty MFN page-turning read that will keep you guessing until the very last word. Wendy from Amazon says, if you haven't read anything from J.A. Huss yet, this is the perfect book to start with. It's a standalone story with lots of sexy, lots of angst, and lots of keeping the reader guessing. It's a must read for sure. Into Her is also brought to life by the performers Savannah Peachwood, Teddy Hamilton, and Tad Branson. So go ahead and buy Into Her by J.A. Huss on audible.com. Anyway, Clayton, what was this book about? Well, this book is about Meg, who is a hand letterer, who has her own business. She's getting clients that she makes these planners that where she hand draws the 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 days uh, and the months, and she also does wedding invitations. She does a bunch of different things, and she's working out of her friends. A couple days a week, she works out of her friend's shop. And one day, this guy Reed shows up. And now Reed is a guy that she had done wedding invitations or announcements for. And when he walks in, she's like, oh, shit, I, this, is, this is bad because she has an inkling that he has a bone to pick with her. <laughs> and he does... But she thinks that he's still married, but it turns out the wedding never happened. And what he noticed and what she had done in the wedding invitations is when she was writing it, she added little characters inside the letters for certain letters. But those letters ended up spelling mistake. Mm -hmm. And he noticed that and was because he's a guy who notices patterns. He's a numbers guy. She's a letters guy because he works in finance. And they kind of have, he has an issue with that because he's like, how did you know, blah, blah, blah. So they start hanging out. She takes him around to look at the letterings on signs. He decides, well, let's make this into a game because she originally just wanted to look at it. And he creates this game that they do. And they start falling in love. And there's corporate espionage in this book, too, because <laughs> it, it ends up that he was working for his ex's dad's company, and they were doing some dirty shit, and he whistleblows. Nice. And she ends up in the article about him after it happens, talking about how she left that message in there wedding invitations and so there's blowback on her and then there's blowback on him so i mean there is a happily ever after but that the book took a a turn at the end i I, i'm not against it but i was not expecting there to be corporate espionage in this book we love a whistleblower especially for if it's of a hedge fund which are a real scourge um Mm -hmm. so i was happy for it 
It was interesting reading the book the first time versus reading it a second time for the podcast. Because the first time I didn't know that he was a whistleblower. So when I was reading it the second time and I knew about it, it felt more obvious because I knew what it was. But I think the first time it was, you know, why is he holding back and does he have a secret? Is it like another woman? Does he have a secret family or something like that? Did you... Were you feeling that way during the book about Reed or were you just sort of, did he just seem like uptight? No, I just thought it was a, it was a juxtaposition of she's about letters and he's about numbers. Mm-hmm. And I thought the working for the dad was a thing because then he's still tied to Avery, which is his ex, mm-hmm. who is the daughter of his boss. So I thought that the reason he worked at this company and he was so stressed out was just because it's you know he works for a financial company and that's that's such a headache yeah dealing with that kind of money and that kind of pressure and he is at first a very unlikable character because he doesn't like new york city that's hard which i think is the most unlikable quality a person can have (laughs) but no i i the funny thing though is that i have dated one of the one of the relationships i had in the past I dealt a lot with somebody who did not like New York City. Was it your most recent relationship that I know? Yes. Okay. Oh. Yeah. And so that was, I mean, listen, and I'm not saying that was the one reason, and and it's not, I'm not putting blame on anybody because that was, you know, it's just a small part of something. She's but not it, listening. It's okay. Well, no, but the honest truth is that yeah. it's it takes two to tango, and when a relationship isn't working, it's not just the one person. Mm-hmm. I I did wrong. I made mistakes. I wasn't perfect in that relationship either. But there was a butting of heads with that component because when you love a place, like I love New York City, even though right now I hate New York City. I hate New York City more than I've ever hated it before in my life, but I still love it. Mm-hmm. But when you're dating somebody who hates it but doesn't have that love component to it, that's difficult. Yeah. And and that's why I felt for her because she d- learned to love New York City. And it actually, her love and actually her taking to New York City drove a wedge between her and her roommate slash best friend or kind of ex-best friend when we first start reading this, Sibby, which I thought was one of the most accurate representations of a relate like a friendship falling apart. I I found that so good and so interesting, the whole Sibby of it all. So Sibby is her roommate and best friend from childhood. They moved to New York City together. And Meg is really thriving, and Sibby is a little bit stalled out. And Sibby is the one who wanted to move to New York City and had dreams of being an actress on Broadway and everything. But what I loved about it, it wasn't that either of them did anything. It was just like a slow erosion of a friendship and how hard it is to, when you feel that going away, to have to try to fight it because I you know I've had that happen in a bunch of different ways I've been really close to people and then we both sort of grow apart and there's not really any hard feelings everything's fine and I have names (laughs) they won't be listening but um (laughs) 
I've had friends who, and I've had friends who it was a very like severe and sudden friend breakup. And it's really difficult because I don't feel like it's talked about in the culture enough about, um, and, and particularly for women, but I'm sure for men too, uh, how fundamental and how important female friendship is or how important friendship is and how you feel like a crazy person when it's breaking up because I don't think that there are there's really vocabulary right now around that situation and it's really upsetting I had a friend break up with one of my best friends who had been one of my closest friends for over a decade uh two years ago and I'm not over it and it's still something I think about a lot and it's still something I cry about sometimes and it's still something that's very like upsetting um so to see that sort of explored in this book, I really loved because um, Meg mentions it at a certain stage in the book about how important, how there is are different kinds of love. And, and one kind of love is, is friendship. Um, and what I liked about this book is how it shows, you know, it's a traditional romance in the way that it's like uh, two people falling in love and they end up together at the end. But it's also about... Um, her falling in love and finding relationships with a new friend, figuring out a relationship with an old friend, um, finding a relationship with a city, with a mentor. And you sort of see her journey through all those relationships in this book, which I really loved. And I think takes a really like deft author to pull off, which I certainly think she does in this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I've had a similar situation when I moved here. I moved here and I the only person I knew was a guy that I don't talk to anymore and have no clue where he's at. Oh, and he was a close friend of mine and we grew apart because of certain situations I don't want to, you know, speak to. It was like 13, 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's probably 12 years ago at this point. But then one of my best friends, my best friend from high school moved up here and we were thick as thieves for a few years and then our relationship deteriorated and that was because I think a lot of the same reasons that Megan Sibby's did is that as soon as their normal structure of their relationship changed where at first Sibby was the one who moved to New York and took in Meg because Meg had a, had left her parents she as soon as she graduated she moved to New York because her she found out that her mom wasn't actually her real mom, Mm -hmm. which is something we find out in the end of this book. But she runs to Sibby and they bond and Meg was always the one who needed Sibby for help and the person to run to. And now with Meg being successful and Sibby floundering, like you said earlier, that switched and neither of them knew how to deal with it. And I think this book is a romance a a normal romance in the sense of romantic feelings love but also it gives you that romantic happily ever after for two friends who can make their friendship move into a different space Mm -hmm. which i think i wasn't able to do with my friend and that's you know that sucks but that's why fiction and romance is so great is that you can get those happy endings right and i do think it's possible I also had a friendship that was very close to Sibby um, and Meg's, 
and we were friends in college and we moved in together. We lived together for three years. And it honestly, I just explain it like we just OD'd on each other. We knew too much about each other. Like if we would go to parties, I knew what stories she would say. I knew how she would react in every situation. And I just needed a break. And I just like quit her cold turkey and ghosted her. Not my finest moment. (laughs) I don't suggest it. And it was a coward's way to do things. Um, But then we ended up finding our way back to each other like um, maybe three or four, maybe five years after that and have been able to build a friendship. But I don't think that we would be as close friends as we are now had we not had that time apart. I think we needed it to each grow in different ways. Um, Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's like you want someone to always stay the person that they were when you first met them because that's comfortable and then you don't have to change who you are and update things because you know you have that reflection in someone um and sometimes that i mean and that's not always healthy and you know oh and not at all no because i think the 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 relationship that i had was that we both wanted to grow but mm-hmm. when we hung out together, we would assume the other person would do what they used to do. Mm-hmm. And we'd put them in, we'd put each other in these boxes that we were both fighting to get out of because we weren't the same people and we didn't want to be the same people, but we still wanted to be friends. And we had such strong personalities and such a strong history together that there was no way to not fall back into those old habits that we didn't like about ourselves. We haven't talked in a, a long time and it's, I wish him the best, obviously. I, I want him to have as successful a life and as happy a life as I would want all my close friends. But I just don't see right now a future where going back there would make sense for either of us. Yeah, you would have to then start a new relationship with him. If you did, you know, get back together as friends. Yeah. Um, and it would, it and at this point, it, it'd be so hard. Yeah, it would be. I mean, because most of the time, also, you don't stay in the same place and it can be tough. Uh, yeah, because I think he might even live in Jersey now. Oh, so like, what the hell? Or maybe Connecticut, but still. <laughs> I, I think he moved out of the city. I think. I think. Yeah. Uh, Which is another thing about this book that was super realistic is that when Sibby, she's now with Elijah, her boyfriend, and she spends a lot of time there and she breaks the news to Meg that she wants to move out, which leaves Meg with a nice apartment, but the possibility of having to sublet, which is terrifying. Yeah. And my, not to give anything away, we spoil everything. But the happily ever after for me in this book, and I saw it coming and I was like, I can't wait till this happens. (laughs) And it's usually at the end of these books, it's like, they have a baby and they're married, blah, blah. But this was that Reed moves into her apartment so she doesn't have to move. And I, I shed a tear. That's a New York romance. Real estate. That absolutely was the new york romance because it's so funny because as much as she she was dreading sibby being around because the relationship wasn't what it used to be there was still that level of we need to make it work for the apartment (laughs) which is such a new york way to think because i will put up with anything 
to, I mean, I lived with my ex for nine months because of an apartment. I mean, you guys had that great porch, so. Yeah, the porch was great. I mean, yeah. and that's the thing is like anywhere else in the country, not anywhere else, but a lot of places in the country, you break up with somebody, you're you're out that minute. Mm-hmm. Like you call somebody on the phone and say, I can have the house. Okay, bye. I'm leaving. I'll send for my stuff. I did love Reed lives in Murray Hill. And I lived in Murray Hill for, I think, four or five years for a while. And I was like, right. That is where Reed would live in Murray Hill. Yes. Yeah. Finance bros, right? Yeah. It's not a cool place to live, but it is one of those things that like I lived there. So it was my neighborhood. So I loved it because I like, you know, knew the people who worked at different restaurants and knew the rhythms of things and would I lived above a bar. So then all the like the doormen for the the bouncers for the bar were like my friends and I would talk to them and stuff. And it felt like a very small neighborhood to me. Um, but obviously is a fairly ugly part of the city that is full with a lot of like transients. Like normally you move to Murray Hill when you first live in the city and then you go somewhere else. A lot of this book is, is Reed and Meg walking around New York city, mm-hmm. which when we posted that this book was going to be what we were reading this month on Instagram, we got a, a, a comment and forgive me. I don't remember who it was, but they, they asked whether Clayton would be, upset or mad about all the walking around because I'm not able to do it. Yeah. And I do love that now all of our listeners know how everything upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> like I've, I've for the longest time tried to, as honest as I am on this podcast, I try to hide the fact that I get upset about everything like there's nothing that makes me happy really and you're neutral or upset yeah well yeah i'm apathetic or upset i think of the two the the two (laughs) modes right absolutely and i'll be honest with you i was i was not angry about this Mm -mm. i was wistful though because again all of these places that i used to walk around now i don't have access to mm-hmm. for good reason and here's the thing a lot of people have it worse than me a lot of people are losing loved ones a lot of people are sick a lot of people are dying a lot of people are destitute me not being able to stroll around new york city like i live in a rom-com mm-hmm. is not the worst thing in the world but it's such an integral part of my life that it does feel like a whole. It feels like there's something greatly missing in my experience because of my inability to go outside. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it for the safety of everyone. I don't want to be selfish and say it's worth it for me to take a long stroll in Soho when I could be, you know, putting somebody's life in danger. I have a, I hopefully have a long life ahead of me, and I want to make sure that other people do as well. So I understand why that sacrifice needs to be made. But it was, I did find myself feeling very wistful reading this book. I fully started crying, and I just feel like I've been, you know, in this apartment with Pat. I just have had a lot of emotions that are right at the tippy top, because the thing about this self isolation, quarantining, is you don't have the normal bullshit to 
hide feelings away. So I can't be like, well, I'm so busy. I'm going to meet friends for drinks. I'm going to go to lunch. I'm going to go to this reading. I'm going to do all the things. There's none of that. So I feel like so many emotions just like bubble to the top. So I've just been like a weepy mess. But I took a long walk the other day and I was sitting at this sculpture park that's like kind of hidden. Not many people know about it. So it was not crowded at all. And I could see Manhattan over the river. And I was reading the part where it's the first time that she and Reed go walking and they're in the garment district, which Mm -hmm. I used to work in fashion. So I used to be in the garment district constantly. And it's one of those areas of New York that I, that is not great to walk around, but like I am, I'm wistful for every aspect of New York that I'm like, Oh my God, no. Yeah. Seventh Avenue in the thirties. And it starts raining and they run across the street to hide under scaffolding. And I fully burst into tears because I was like, I know that moment. So specifically and I'm like am I not gonna ever get caught in the rain in New York City again (laughs) I know (laughs) it's not even an experience that's a good experience like that's a pain in the ass but there was something about like I could feel the heat of the pavement and the water and you know running and then you get in somewhere and you're cold but now you're like hunkering down there wherever it is and so that's kind of a surprise and I was just like I don't know. I was like so overcome with emotion for someone who does not live in New York City as Kate does not. She lives somewhere else in the world. The amount of things that she captured for like New York City moments is like astonishing to me. Yes. But that's also like you were talking about the garment district. That's so bizarre because you worked in fashion and I worked at a wig making place Mm -hmm. for a couple years. And that was... I used to have to walk through the garment district to get to it because it was on like between 9th and 10th Avenue and that there's no real subway to get there other than, you know, walking. I had to walk about 20 minutes to get there and I would walk on that. I would walk through like uh, the garment district where it's these wedding dress places and these some of these places that look like there's no way this isn't just a front for something else because these dresses are so old-fashioned looking oh yeah you know like but i hated walking down those sidewalks because they were always busy they were always dirty always tons of construction always under construction and the same way you were with that scene i was like i miss that yeah i miss having to walk 20 minutes to this job (laughs) after being at my other job all day and, like, I just missed that ability to do that. And, and I do think that she does capture it so well. Hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm Will from the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. We're proud to be part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Our show is for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. When we spoke to author Casey McQuiston, she had this to say about her best-selling debut novel, Red, White, and Royal Blue. A big thing that I want to do as an author and as a queer person is push those stories into the mainstream. Everybody deserves to have like a big, shiny, tropey rom-com, you know? Author Adriana Herrera writes intersectional stories about heroes with heart. So I wanted to write something that could be nuanced and also show the joyfulness and the beauty 
of being a person that's Afro-Latinx and all the amazing things that we come with. New episodes are available every Monday. You can find us at BigGayFictionPodcast.com and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We hope you'll join us soon. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. But Reeve comes to love New York when you see it, when he sees it through Meg's eyes. And he associates her so strongly with New York that, you know, he falls in love with it too. Which I also think is a very real experience. I think the people that you meet when you come to New York and the people you date and who you surround yourself with completely will color your feelings of the city itself. So it makes sense that, you know, he works in the financial district. He lives in Murray Hill. He he doesn't have any friends, it seems. He was engaged to somebody, but they broke up. And I get you would hate New York. You would hate that New York. It's like when tourists come to New York and they're like, oh, we went to Times Square. It's so busy. I don't know how anyone could live there. And I'm like, well, nobody lives there. Like, that's that's how it works. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, to take these long walks and really get and see New York City from a different point of view and, and get to know her slowly you know, I thought that was really beautiful, too, that you could feel that he would then be happy in New York City. I feel like sometimes we end these books and I'm like, these people are going to be together, but it's not going to be easy. Or these people still have big things they need to work out. I don't feel that way for Megan Reed. I feel like, you know, whatever, they're going to have relationships is not going to be perfect. But like him being in New York City, I don't think is something that's going to be a problem. Yeah, because I do think he just had to, like you said, he had to find his tether. He had to find his anchor to this place because it's very easy to feel like you have no anchor in this city. Mm -hmm. And I've been lucky to, you know, I had a group of friends that I, when I first moved here, that I accumulated. And then some of them translated to this new group of friends. And I think my, like, friends for life that I have now. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't have you guys... Like, if I didn't have you, Pat, Greg, Aaron, like, uh, you know, Rebecca, all those people, I, I don't know what, if I'd still be here. Right. So, yeah. so Carolyn, Steve, you know, I got to mention <laughs> most of the, all of them. If I forgot you, that's the thing. It's like I have a bunch of people that I, that, that, that keep me here. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the thing is like you have to find your group and that, that brings this city out. Yeah. I loved this, uh, you know, whatever. We loved this book, obviously. But I think I also loved that Meg and Reed fell in love pretty easy. They didn't have a very a relationship full of strife. And I mean, other than him, Reed hiding such a big part of himself from her, which was obviously difficult, but that they always wanted to see each other and that they you know, they would take these walks that they were intellectually so stimulated by each other in like all these games that they would play and how they each brought out such a great part of the other person. Like around Meg, Reed could have a little bit more fun and be a little bit sillier in his own kind of way. Like he's always like a little bit stoic and a little dry, but you know, you could see him having fun. And with Meg sort of Reed was the first person that she was really able to stand up to and he stayed in the relationship and he came back and he wanted to continue to try to be with her and he 
sort of taught her that like when you are in a relationship with somebody that you love, you have to have the difficult conversations and you have to um, say what you want and you have to assert yourself in that way, um, which she was able to do then in every other aspect of her life, you know, with great results. Um, Yeah, I mean, this relationship is my dream relationship in the sense that it's all about long walks in the city. That mm -hmm. was like, that's if I could find a, a a woman that wanted to just do that, yeah, that would be perfect for me because that's what I love to do, and I've got all these places that I love to go that I don't have someone to share it with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it made me think of like one of my best ever first dates I ever had was in the city, and it was an OK Cupid date, and we just walked around Central Park for literally like six hours. <laughs> And it was one of the best dates that I've ever had because we were walking, talking, looking at things and just you get to know somebody. It's better than going to, I mean, listen, I love movies, but it's better than go sitting in a dark theater somewhere or going to a bar where you're screaming over somebody. It's, it, I just, it's one of my favorite things to do. So that really was a, a very romantic aspect of this book for me. Well, when I lived in Manhattan, I would just not take the subway very often and I would walk everywhere. I Me would too. walk from Murray Hill to, like, my friend lived in the West Village. I would walk to her place. I remember, like, vividly walking home from her place at, like, 4 or 5 in the morning because she would have house parties and loving that, too. And I think that's been the hardest thing for me about, like, living where I do now is, like, I don't feel like there's anywhere to walk to. And yeah. And that's been a really difficult part of me feeling like I'm a part of this neighborhood because yes. there aren't but what's funny about now it's like i've been taking all these long walks kind of to nowhere and it has made me appreciate it more so there you go yeah so there's always places to to discover no matter what borough you're in yeah um what did you so this book is light on the heat we'll say yes i will that's that i was gonna get to that is that it it definitely doesn't it has a little bit of sex uh, it doesn't have a lot of sex, which I'm fine with. But it's, yeah, two sex scenes. And it was cool that they fucked at his, in his old room at his parents' house. <laughs> On the floor. Because that is cool. And I like that. And I like that they had to be quiet about it and made it a game. That's very sexy. That was that very was very sexy. sexy. But the, so, I, yeah, I think the individual scenes themselves pack a ton of heat. Yeah. But there's just not many of them. And I also liked that he had psoriasis. Oh, yeah. And I think that that is cool that he was like kind of a shit. It's not cool that he has it, but well, there's nothing wrong with that. But I thought it was cool that he had that, was embarrassed of it, and she didn't care. And it was not a big, it wasn't played off as a huge deal, but it was played off as a deal. Because it is. When you have something that you're self-conscious about, it's it's nice when your partner is understanding of that and also doesn't make it a big deal, you know? Yeah. There's so much going on in this book that I do think the, the sex took a back seat in a way mm -hmm. because there were so many relationships. Because we didn't even talk about her becoming friends with her the actress of the of the princess tent the movie that her and Sibby used to watch all the time mm -hmm. and how cameron 
Lark, who was the actress's husband, was a total douche. Oh, yeah. And wanted to move to Red Hook because it was gritty. It ain't gritty, my friend. No, it ain't been gritty for a minute. Yeah, but uh, so that was funny. But I mean, I liked Lark as a character. Lark was, I think, just another person who wasn't really sold on New York. And we got to see that person, the California, the L.A. person who who maybe could have fallen in love with New York if she had met Sibby and Meg before she was with Cameron. Yeah, because her husband sucked and was kind of steamrolling her. Like, that was a very, like, disturbing relationship, too, to have that be, like, a tertiary relationship in the book. But he was basically... And him wearing leather cuffs. That's That was the most disturbing part of it. Yeah. <laughs> those, like, leather bracelets, you know, that they those pe- that people wear that, like, are supposed to be cool, but they always look like you're trying too hard. Like the ones I'm wearing right now. <laughs> Yours are cool. Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, God is dead. Oh, God. I know. And he, and he wanted a Nietzsche quote in his kitchen. Oh, no. In his bedroom. Uh, I pictured Lark as Anne Hathaway. I think well, it's yeah, like the it's Prince a princess. Diaries in the princess yeah. tent. Yeah. And then I had such a specific person for who Cameron was, this guy that I just like know from the city and who wears like slouchy hats. And he's one of those people, like, talk about New York being a small town. Like, I will go to a restaurant and I'll, I turn around and there he is. I'll go to, you know, a club way out in the middle of nowhere and there he is. Like, he ends up showing up constantly and he just has that same energy of being like trying so desperately to be cool and uh, never pulling it off. Um, but she dumps his ass. She dumps God. his ass. Yeah. And the the great scene was, so after Meg is outed by the media because of her writing that, do, putting that code in his wedding mm-hmm. invitations, everybody's calling and being like, you're putting, you put secret messages in mine and blah, blah, blah. And they're reading into it. And Lark wanted, was looking through her planner and wanted a secret message to dump Cameron. Yeah. And she didn't get one, but then Meg straight up is like, yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. Like, I knew you wanted to dump him anyway. Like, I don't I don't need to put a secret message there. You know how everybody feels about Cameron. Well, it's one of those things, too. I found that really interesting because Lark's inability to make a decision is sort of throughout the, you know, her arc as well. And, you yes. know, they're picking out font for something and... Uh, Meg creates this game for them and then, you know, Lark basically rigs the game um, to get the thing that she wants. Like, she knew what it was all the time, but she couldn't make the decision. And it's the same thing with the planner where it's like, she knew she wanted to dump Cameron because he sucked. And she was just looking for a sign. She was looking for it to not have to come from her, that it could be an external uh, an external decision, which, it, you know, ultimately it can't be. Um but I found that really interesting. I mean, all, all the side characters have done really well in this, too, where I felt like Lark could have a book. Like, anyone else, any of the side characters felt like fully formed people and not, you know, just there to service Meg's story, necessarily. Yes. Well, here's the big question. Would you fuck them? Yes. I would fuck them both. We, 
never get a really great idea of what Meg looks like. Well, yeah, we never get his mind, do we? Yeah. So whenever that happens, I feel like you never really know what the heroine looks like 100% because you, you know, people don't normally describe themselves and she doesn't really describe herself that much. Reed, it it seems extraordinarily sexy and I 100% get it. And also the first time they have sex, she admits that she has a really hard time orgasming. And he reacts in like the perfect way where he's just like understanding and patient, but really attentive to her and asks her how she likes to get off and then, you know, incorporates all those moves. And I thought that was incredibly sexy. So, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't do the normal masculine uh, reaction, which is that's all about to change. Let me whip out the jackhammer. Because I think men just assume that that means that they will, if they can't get that girl off immediately without asking any questions, they somehow failed at being a man. So it's yeah. a challenge to them, not a disclosure of a of something that a, a woman is sensitive about, you know? Well, and it's, it's, it's just wild to me, too, because, like, women's orgasms are so difficult compared to male ones I guess to generalize greatly but they're very much more internal and it's about more senses and it's not just sort of one area of the body necessarily and I think for any man to then take the time to be like I want to give you pleasure and I want you to tell me how best to do that like that's just incredibly sexy across the board remember that Clayton what I'm sorry I was (laughs) thinking of something else (laughs) Because um, no yeah. lady's ever not been satisfied by me, so I was like, "This conversation doesn't pertain to me." <laughs> Would you fuck them? Yeah, I'd fuck them. I'd fuck Sibby too. Sibby seemed and, yeah cool, and I'd fuck Lark. Yeah, but I wouldn't fuck Cameron. No, and we—I guess we didn't even talk about her, the woman who owns the the business but she was kind of she was a cool friend she was kind of a side character but i'd throw her a fuck too i guess <laughs> cecilia yeah you'd fuck the city of new york if it became a person i guess yeah i'd fuck any of i'd fuck anybody in this book except cameron wow all right do you want to do goodreads list oh let's do it so this book came out december 31st 2019 so it's not been around long and it's not on a ton of lists. It's on a ton of like most anticipated lists, best yeah. of lists. I don't include those because I don't think they're particularly interesting for our purposes. Um, Agreed. So the first list, gentle feel good reads. Yes. Yes. You get the added bonus of a uh, people committing financial crimes getting arrested for it which we know is very rare so that's an added feel good on top of it all yes um and there isn't a ton of angst in this book i mean she it did end up that you know she her mom was not her mom but they don't really focus on that too much that's also information she found out years ago yeah so it's not a a fresh wound yeah um Next is artistic, creative romance heroes and heroines. Yes, she is. She is an artist, which is something Mm -hmm. that she is really proud when other people say about her. But Mm -hmm. she, you know, she believes it. She is. She's an artist. 100 percent. 
Um, best books to read when you're ill with coronavirus or self-isolating? <laughs> um, I have not been ill with coronavirus, so I can't say for that part Touch of it. Wood, but I would yeah. say for self-isolating, yes. So yes. it stays on the list. It'll make you weep if you love New York City, though. Be prepared. But in a good way. <laughs> yes. Um, so one list, pen pals, romance through the written word. Yeah. I mean, they're not pen pals, obviously, but there is a note that is written to her at the end when he is in FBI custody. Mm-hmm. And but they do they send letters to each other like actual letters yeah. uh, as in ABCs, which it's I thought was cute, too. And then another list, pen pals, texting, messaging, romance. Yes. They, but you yeah. know what? It's not annoying because they're sending cool stuff to each other. This this might be one of the only times when I'm pro taking photos on your phone for anything. Because yeah. they were taking pictures of letters in signs to spell out words and sending them to each other, which mm-hmm. I thought was cute and romantic not annoying like everybody having to take a picture of everything all the time. I love taking pictures of my phone, so I'm one of the people that you don't like, but I agree. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that's it. So just five, but good five, a good five, a solid five. But it's new, so I, I understand. Yeah. Um. All right, Clayton, so what are your tropes? Oh, my tropes <laughs> are... Family secrets, because there was the, that's not your mom's secret, and then there was the, not the family of the two main characters, but there was the whole Avery's father being a big crook. Right. Bad dads, because he's a bad dad because he's a crook. Sibby has a bad dad because they went and saw a play together, and he told her, his daughter, that she didn't have the face or the body or the talent to be those people on stage. Yeah, that's an asshole. That's a dick move. What is your dad? Simon Cow? How dare you? Yeah. How dare you? Now, listen, I'm not saying that talentless people should be propped up. But what I'm saying is, like, there's a callous way to do that. And that's the way he did it. Yeah. And then, I th- you know, the, the secret, the, the dad, her dad not telling her that her mom was not her mom. That's kind of shitty, too. New York as a character, long walks, secret messages, whistleblowing, mm-hmm. hero with a skin condition, psoriasis, friend breakup slash makeup, befriending a celebrity because she befriends Lark, starchy hero gets unstarched. Nice. What are your tropes, Aaron? My first trope I wrote down is starchy hero gets unstarched. We were both Yay. New York City, friend breaks up, hero with a big secret, heroine has never come before, secret languages. They sort of create a code with each other when they're together around letters and numbers and these games they play. And it's a way for them to sort of reveal themselves in a way that I really loved. Uh, Right brain, left brain. So he's numbers. She's more creative, artistic, and that they get caught in the rain just because I love that scene so much. That's a good scene. All right, Clay. So what has you swooning this week? Well, geez. So I have a few, but I'm going to be quick about it. So I've never seen this movie before, and I'm so surprised I've never seen it, but I absolutely loved it. Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> I feel like everyone's watching that this week. You loved it? You know it? what? I loved it. It's not... It's 
the ending's not great. When they get to the volcano, it's not great. But Mm -hmm. there's so many philosophical questions that this movie brings up. And the beginning of it, where Tom Hanks is in his soul-crushing job, is the most accurate representation of wage slavery and the drudgery (laughs) of having a job you hate that I've ever seen on screen. It is spectacular. There are so many quotes from this movie that I wish I could quote on this podcast, but I say watch this movie and don't watch it for really the action, but watch it for like the ideas that it brings up. Cool. So that's one. And then also the Beastie Boys documentary on Apple Plus that was directed by Spike Jones is great. Nice. It is so fun. They're on stage and they're talking about clips from their past and it's really funny and it made me love the Beastie Boys even more. I I bought the Beastie Boys book. This is an extension of that and I think it's a must-see if you have Apple Plus, which most people don't. And then the last one real quick is, I'm not done with it yet, but I started reading it the other night. Jessica Simpson's memoir. (gasps) Yes. Open book. Have you read it? No, but I've heard so much about it and I do want to start reading it yes it is great believe the hype nice okay cool so Aaron, what has you swooning i feel like i am so behind the curve with my swoon so i just want to say you know swoon when the swoon comes to you but i have become legitimately obsessed and then i have made pat also legitimately obsessed with the bon appetit youtube channel particularly bon appetit the test kitchen so one is called Gourmet Makes and an absolutely delightful woman named Claire takes junk food and tries to elevate it and recreate it to varying results. And it's so watchable. And the episodes are like 30 to 40 minutes, which was a shock to me. I thought they were 15 minutes long um, because they're so watchable. And there is something that is so soothing about just watching somebody who is very intelligent, very good at their job, very good at the thing that they're doing, trying to solve a problem, which is basically what ends up happening in every episode. She's trying to solve for different problems. I could watch someone do that forever in any capacity. I don't particularly like sweets or baking, but I am enthralled every episode. Um So Gourmet Makes on YouTube is great. And then there are two others. One is Alex Eats, where this guy just goes to different cities and tries to find the best version of whatever food that city is famous for. And um, another one where he just goes to New York City restaurants and eats one bite of everything on the menu, which I just watch as a like sadistic pleasure for me because I can't go to these restaurants and I really really want to and a lot of time there are places that I love um but in general anything on the Bon Appetit channel I think it's very great to watch right now because you want something that is like nice and soothing and low stress and I love those yeah so I swooned about those uh I think fairly recently did you because uh, yeah because I got really obsessed with those I don't and see I should have listened to you Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. Uh, but I am obsessed with those too. So at some point we need to talk more in depth when we have more time, because I this this could be a two hour podcast talking about all of the different relationships that these people 
oh, might yeah. have, <laughs> might not have. And also, they are so watchable. I also really like It's Alive. I need to watch Brad that does. one. Yeah, I love Brad. Brad shows up in Gourmet Makes, but I, yeah, I haven't watched his yet. You gotta watch it. It's alive. He's so funny. So, yeah, this is enthusiastic from both of us. A swoon. Mm-hmm. If you haven't watched any Bon Appetit videos, they're they're killing. They're killing it when it comes to entertainment, especially like pretty much just corporate commercials. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like but they're I, just yeah. But they're great. They're they're what though that they're what that kind of content can be at its highest level. Mm-hmm. They're also watchable, but they are also just so competent and just love the thing that they're talking about in a very genuine way that I don't think you could get if you were just like, okay, we're going to do a show about fermentation and let's hire some actor to talk about fermentation versus like Brad, who genuinely loves that for some reason. And we just get to watch and be really excited and love it. Or, you know, Claire redoing an Oreo cookie and just being like thrilled because she feels like she's really nailed it. And it's just so nice. And then when she gets to do arts and crafts, she loves it. And she loves doing the packaging mm-hmm. sometimes more than actually making the food. Which is so relatable, too. And then, you know, I know we, you and Pat were texting and I was basically yelling my thoughts for Pat to text you. Who, knew, who knows if he actually does it or not. But we also speculate when Alex eats and he goes to these cities and sometimes he has female guests about what those relationships might be as well. <laughs> That's endlessly Absolutely. entertaining. Yes, yes. No, we, we had a very long text conversation with your – there was some Aaron thoughts thrown in there as well. <laughs> okay, good. I like that it made it in there. Um, yes. We should do a live watch of some video or something because – I, I would I would 100% do that. Yeah. I would 100% do that. Listen, if you guys also love Bone Appetit videos, like we'll do a bonus episode of just us talking about it. For... Oh, if you have any interest, we would love it. Oh, yeah. We might just do that – uh, no one asking for it um, we might force that on you guys <laughs> you'll be like this was a romance podcast why are you talking about claire and brad we'll be like shut up they love shut each other up. our shut up we have to do a shut up episode that's just for us once in a while yeah just to sh- just to prove that you guys don't own us <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so if you do want to, you know, if you have any theories about Bon Appetit videos, if you have favorites, let us know. You can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Learning Tropes and on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. Um, we also have our Facebook group, The Learning the Tropes Troop. That's a lot of fun. We talk about books. We talk about movies. We talk about, you know, whatever's going on. Um, so go ahead and join that as well. Next week, we are reading Tycoon by Joanna Shoup. Somebody in the troop recommended this book because we said offhanded that we wanted a train romance and this one came through. (laughs) So we love you guys so, so much. Um, Also, if you have time to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, reviewing it and rating it is sort of how people find us uh, on Apple Podcasts. So we really appreciate it whenever anyone takes the time to do that. So if you haven't, you know, and you're enjoying yourselves, let us know. Um, Yep. And finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcast. All right. Bye, everybody. Stay safe.